Welcome to the District Podcast, another edition of Outside the District, where we cover topics important to folks living outside of the big cities. I'm Teresa Mall, Assistant Editor at Spectator World, and today we are joined by, by a very special guest, former colleague of mine, Brendan Boudreaux. He is the Director of Field Operations for the National Association for Gun Rights, NAGR. And Brendan is here today to talk about something that's really big in the Second Amendment movement, and that is constitutional carry. And Brendan, you are the expert here. Uh, so why don't you take it away and tell us what is constitutional carry? Yeah, thanks, Teresa. I appreciate being on the show today. Yeah, constitutional carry is a, a, a simple, simple concept. It simply says that if you can lawfully possess a handgun, you should be able to carry it openly or concealed without having to first get a government permission slip. You know, there there are now uh, 24 states, technically 25 with Georgia, once Governor Brian Kemp uh, signs it into law, which could be any day now, uh, that now require uh, no permit in one form or a fashion uh, to, to carry for self-defense. You know, it's, it's, it's a growing movement across the country. When I started at NHGR in 2014, there were only four constitutional carry states. Uh, but thanks to the efforts of the National Association for Gun Rights and our members, we're now up to 25, essentially, which just goes to show you the growing popularity of these laws. Yeah, so constitutional carry aptly named, it does or makes as a law exactly what the Constitution says should be the law whenever it comes to guns. So these laws, though they're great, they really shouldn't have to exist, right? Because if we are following the Constitution, there wouldn't be anything barring a person from carrying a gun without first asking the government permission. So it's, it's of course, a step in the right direction, but we're kind of undoing some some wrongs that have been put in place, right? Yeah, that's that's right. And and you look at, you know, the history of the 20th century, even, you know, towards the end of the 19th century, the growth of gun control laws. There are you're talking about the government control of the of the right to keep and bear arms. And in many parts of this country, there are racist roots to gun control. And in other parts it was just, you know, government sticking its nose where it doesn't belong. So it's really it when we push constitutional carry laws, we view it as a restoration. We are restoring the Second Amendment rights that were once uh you know, once in existence. I mean for a great example of this is Vermont. Vermont has never required a permit in the entire history of the state. Uh, they Since 1791, uh, their state constitution, the year of their state constitution, they have never required a permit for any form of carry. And that goes to show you that this is not a new concept. This is, this is ingrained in, in, our, in our nation's history. You talked about the, the massive growth of constitutional carry, especially in recent years. You know, we're up to 25 states now. That's half of the United States. And I'm sure there's, there's a lot on the list. I know my home state here in Pennsylvania got it all the way to Governor Wolf's desk last year. And then, of course, he vetoed it as he does all good laws. But what do you, uh, why is this growing so rapidly in recent years? What is it about constitutional carry that, you know, as you as you mentioned, Vermont, it's been there forever, but there's been this recent kind of surge in people waking up lawmakers looking at this policy and saying, hey, this this is actually pretty great in a day and age where, you know, every time there's a shooting of any kind, we see liberals and Democrats pushing for more and more uh, gun control. We're seeing constitutional carry actually take its place. And why is that? Yeah, it's it's because the grassroots, the you know the 
pro-gun patriots across this country and conservatives, libertarians, you name them, they've, they've grabbed onto this now as, as the next movement within the gun rights community. You know, if you rewind in, in American history, there was a time when there were, there were no issue laws. In other words, that there was no permitting process for, in some states, for, for people to carry. Uh, then, then came the, the, the series of May issue laws where basically if you meet all the requirements, you can go to the government and say, mother, may I? And depending on the government's mood that day, uh, they may give you your right to carry. And then came the, the shell issue laws, which really started taking root in the, in the 90s, um, where if you meet all the requirements to, to carry, you pay the government the fee, they'll give you a permit to carry. And so constitutional carry is just the next natural uh, thing in that in that evolution of the restoration of the right to keep and bear arms. And and really, this, this would not happen if we left it up to the politicians. Um, politicians live in their own little bubbles and state capitals across the country. And especially in Washington, D.C., um, you know, you've you've worked in D.C. before. Um, I, I've never worked in D.C. I've had to fly there for work before, but it's just a different world. Um, they don't really know what's actually happening most of the country. And, you know, I, I live in Michigan and we like to call the state capital the Lansing bubble. I mean, where they, they freak themselves out over, you know, things that the rest of the state doesn't care about. Um, and, but the nice thing is, is that because they, uh, politicians freak out very easily when constituents start uh, communicating to, with them about things that they care about, we can use that to push constitutional carry laws. And that's, that's how these laws have passed in state after state after state after state. It's, it's been an organized grassroots applying targeted pressure and key moments to force these bills through the legislative process and onto governor's desks. I definitely get what you mean about D.C. being its its own different world and the, a lot of these state capitals and cities in general kind of being in, a, as you said, a bubble and being immune to how the rest of the country, a lot of millions of Americans live and the concerns that we have, which is part of what we want to address here on this podcast outside the district, you know, talking about things that matter to people who are not in those bubbles. So as I mentioned, and we all know that anytime there is a tragic mass shooting, you know, a crazed gunman gets a firearm and goes and commits these heinous crimes, um, breaking many laws, often stealing guns, you know, not, he doesn't usually go through a background check or check all the, the boxes and do the red tape that the government requires of him to get a gun, you know, uh, he, I've never heard of a, a gunman going to a gun store, filling out a background check, being denied and saying, you know, sh- kind of shrugging and saying, oh, well, you know, I didn't get my gun today. I guess I won't go kill a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's, right. that's that's pretty much the mindset of the gun control set, right? You know, they think that by passing more and more gun control laws that we're going to somehow stop people who are by definition criminals, they, they break the laws. So we know that gun control laws don't deter criminals. They only deter law-abiding people. So the fear or the claim is always that if we have fewer laws, we will have more crimes, which we know isn't true. So what has happened stripping basically 25 states now 
of gun control laws, some gun control laws anyway, through constitutional carry. Um, have we seen a massive uptick in crime in these places? Are places like Texas and, as you mentioned, Vermont um, and now Georgia, are they just ridden with crime and people are walking through the streets shooting each other willy nilly? Is that what has happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the answer to that question, Teresa. Of course not. No, they're, you know, so, uh, constitutional carry states are some of the state, safest states in the union. Uh, you know, there used to be a day where it was only really small rural states that had these laws on the books. Um, and then, you know, the, the gun control lobby would say, well, that's only for, for small rural states. They're safe anyway, so nothing really changed. But when you have now half the country uh, who have passed these laws, that's that's no longer a legitimate claim. All you have to do is look at the FBI crime statistics to see that, uh, you know, and, and they can't claim that the FBI is being has a pro gun bias. That's that's certainly not the case. Uh, that 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 states that respect the right to keep and bear arms see lower crime rates, lower violent crime rates. Take for example uh, the the recent shooting out in Sacramento. Uh, they're calling it a mass shooting, uh, but when you actually start peeling back some of the details about it, uh, there's there's some more questionable details that are coming out. The one of the shooters was on early release parole uh, from a 10-year prison sentence for being a, being a violent criminal. Uh, he obtained his guns illegally. And you look at the myriad of gun control laws that were violated in, in California, and yet what does Joe Biden do? He goes out and, and starts cheering for more gun control laws. Yet Ca California had every single law on the books that they're now advocating for, yet the system still, their, their system still failed. You know, so that's that just goes to show you to to prove your point further that that gun control laws only arm those who actually abide by the laws. And what we're seeing in states that pass constitutional carry laws, citizens are able to be their own self defense. They no longer have this um, this conflict uh, internally of, well, I either am going to become a victim by not being allowed to carry because I, I can't get my permit because some states they're outrageously expensive, whether it's the permitting fees or the training fees or becoming a criminal uh, because I decided, or I, I can't afford to get the permit. Like for example, in Michigan here, it costs $115 to get your permit. That's on top of the cost that it gets to, uh, to get your training. Uh, so you're talking about $100, $150. If you do not go through that, and you carry concealed or in your car without a permit, it's a five-year felony. You can go to jail for five years in Michigan if you carry without a permit. It's only a misdemeanor in California. Um, you can actually assault a police officer in Michigan, cause them to need medical care, and that's that's only four years. So you know, what's, what's essentially a victimless crime, carrying without, without a permit, is punished so severely. And yet, of course, criminals don't criminals don't abide by these. They just do what they want. Right. Can we also touch on uh, how not only are gun control laws making people less safe, you know, um, people won't carry if they haven't gone through this training. They don't want to go to be a felon and be in prison for five years, but it also uh, is more detrimental um, to minorities and people who are you know, not as wealthy. Can you talk about that? How it's, it's kind of racist and it disparages against people who are not of a certain social class because not everyone can afford this. Not everyone can take off hours from work, days from work and go get trained. Um, so. 
that's that's a sad irony of it is that you know thinking about the the parts of the country that would most benefit from restoring the right to keep bare arms would be our our urban centers that have become crime ridden um, and you know for example uh, here in Michigan uh, I'm using Michigan a lot but it's something I'm really familiar with within the last year there has been an 80 percent increase in the number of uh, concealed concealed carry of a, of a weapon charges in Detroit. And what is happening is that the Detroit police department is going around and just basically when they see a gun in a car, they arrest everyone in the car, regardless of whether or not uh, there's a criminal or whether or not, you know, the, the, you know, somebody is carrying lawfully or not. They're just kind of doing this dragnet policy of arresting as many people as possible. Um, And so, you know, you're talking about how, the, the the cost to get a permit to get the training is is it's not financially feasible for some people and then you think about how in in some of these areas where you have underfunded law enforcement departments you have parts of the city that are kind of that kind of become no-go zones for law enforcement or for the average citizen and people are living there and and they they have to defend themselves. You know, you had the former Detroit police chief James Craig, who actually encouraged folks to go arm themselves in Detroit because he he admitted that his officers can't be there. But the problem though is that James Craig also then instituted the policy that then started arresting people just you know for for carrying without a permit. Um, you know that that really set up a lot of these arrests where people are getting charged for for practicing what what should be you know, a fundamental right. I always like to end on a positive note. And, um, you know, obviously Georgia becoming the 25th constitutional carry state this year. And um, we've seen so many trends, polls of people saying that their their support for gun control is kind of at a record low, at least in recent years. We've seen, obviously, throughout COVID and the various crises that keep um, showing up in the news that people are arming themselves more than ever. There's been record firearm sales um, and things. So do you see uh, gun control, at least in the foreseeable future, kind of being doomed? We have a lot more um, pressing issues that Americans are concerned about. Gun control has taken a big back seat. Joe Biden is not exactly the best spokesman for gun control or for anything for that matter. So um, with this movement that that is constitutional carry, this, uh, this snowballing effect of people getting guns and um, defending themselves, do you see um, do you see bright things in the future for the Second Amendment? Yeah, that's that's a tough question, because at the state level, you know, obviously constitutional carry laws are just kind of sweeping the nation. Uh, there's still probably a, a handful of more states that that are really within reach to pass these laws. And I think that the the gun rights community really does need to go from a ground up approach, because right now, D.C. is an unruly mass. You have the you know, basically the executive branch is, is doing whatever they want on the Second Amendment. Of course, they're going after uh, pistol braces. They're going after uh, rare breed triggers, just kind of starting to ban things through executive fiat uh, via the ATF. But on the state level, there 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 is good hope. Uh, you know, constitutional carry laws, having half the country pass, pass these laws and you know, we get about five more, all of a sudden you get 30. You're talking about starting to get more than half 
are getting closer to have, having half the nation's population residing in constitutional carry states, which that ultimately, that changes the political reality for the politicians in those states. Politicians that come from states that have less gun control laws tend to realize that it's politically disadvantaged, uh, politically bad for them to support gun control laws. And, and so the more states that we get rid of gun control laws, the more politicians have to basically tow, tow their, their, their state's party line when it comes to the right to keep bear arms. So, you know, for example, the political left, the political left uh, really, really has done this better than, than the right, where they, they started at, at the grassroots level. They started taking over city councils. They started taking over school boards. They took over state legislatures. And, and we wonder, you know, how, how America slipped away so quickly, yet you look at what they did. And that's what, that's what the political right has to do. And that's what the gun rights uh, world has to do, too, is, is work from the ground up. You start changing the laws at the state level. All of a sudden, the, the policies will, will hopefully start changing at the federal level. It's, uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and our, our gun rights won't be restored, you know, next week, unfortunately. But we can keep chipping away at it. The other good news is that we have you, Brendan, there on the front lines fighting for Second Amendment rights and everybody at NAGR. So as we close out today, could you tell people where they can learn more about the National Association for Gun Rights, how they can help you in your grassroots efforts and learn more about all the great work that you guys are doing? Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. Yeah, you can check us out at gunrights.org. You can go join our, our email list and we'll keep you updated on what's happening in your state and what's happening in D.C. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.